Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mike Bartner Show. I am happy to be here on the first day of hockey back. We finally have hockey to play. Hockey is being played tonight. We obviously have the triple header on, I believe, ESPN tonight. I'm so excited to dive into those games. But we have a couple big news coming out of the NHL the past two year, two days, as well as me giving my Stanley Cup predictions and just overall running down my overall predictions for this season. So without further ado, let's dive into it. And we're going to lead off with the Jets locking up their team legends. I wouldn't say they're like NHL legends by any means, but after months of speculation and most casuals thinking they were going to leave, Hellebuck and Shifley are here for the long haul. Do you think this is a good move for the team that comes to us from Alyssa? So obviously, out of nowhere, shocking the hockey world, the other extension we're going to talk about didn't really shock like this one. Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley have both signed seven-year, $8.5 million contracts to stay with the Winnipeg Jets. They were heavily speculated as potential trade deadline pieces if the Winnipeg Jets got off to a slow start. I personally thought they were going to get traded this summer just because given the weird state that Winnipeg is in right now, I thought they were going to commit to more of a retool, but that's not the case. Obviously, they think that they could potentially win this year and with this core over the next two to three years. And although I not, don't really think that they're going to end up winning anything in terms of the playoffs actually going a deep run. I understand why you would do this, why you would give these two players that have given so much to your franchise, just decide to lock them up, keep the core together. Because at the end of the day, Winnipeg is not like other markets. It's not a market where you can do a four to five year rebuild, like say the Montreal Canadiens. You need to keep them relevant. You need to keep attendance up considering the Winnipeg is one of the smallest, probably is without a doubt, actually the smallest market in the entire NHL. So when looking at Hellebuck and Shifley, yes, these contracts might age horribly. Yes, they are probably going to age horribly, which I'll get into in a bit. This team will be a competitive team for the next two to three years. And if they did have to go through this rebuild, for all we know, they could have been the Houston Jets in three years from now announced to leave. Now, when looking at directly at the contracts, the Mark Shifley one really stands out. I think this one is going to age pretty brutally because right now, even though he did just score 42 goals... I'm not 100% sure he's even worth $8.5 million heading into next year at age 31, or he's 30 this year, kicks in when he's 31 years old. His defensive numbers are obviously pretty bad. He's a pretty good play driver. He's an elite finisher. He's been around above 15% shooting for the past couple of years. But when looking at Mark Shifley, he hasn't shown any signs of regression, obviously, but regression is coming. Do I think this is going to be as bad as the Huberto deal? No, because it is $2 million less, but it is a similar aging curve. Huberto's kicks in when he's 30 or 31 years old. So when looking at Shifley, this is going to be a bad deal, but for Mark Shifley, he has been so underpaid in prior years, and that's not a reason to give a guy a big deal, but he was making, what, $6 million for the last six years, and they got a legit near point per game center out of him. So it's kind of... uh was he their first? I think he was their first draft pick of all time, too. So it's kind of just paying him for what he did in the past and going forward. And going forward over the next three years, Mark Shifley still should be a pretty good number one center. I, I don't think he's a top 10 center in the league, but next year I'd peg him at around... Yo, hey, yo. But uh, I'd peg him at around 35 goals, 35 assists, 70 points. The defense is obviously not ideal, but he has the track record of a legit number one center. Worry about that later, but right now you're not going to find a Mark Shifley replacement. And in terms of if you traded him for what? He makes $6 million next year. No one could really give up that much because there's not a lot of cap space going around. So if you traded Mark Shifley, you probably would have gotten like a first round pick in a B to B plus prospect. I don't think the Mark Shifley 
market was that massive. So is is a late first round pick and a B plus prospect going to end up being a better player than Mark Shifley over the next five years? Like Mark Shifley's next five years, I'm not sure you're ever going to get that value out of those future assets. So if you're Winnipeg, you take the sure thing, you just lock him the hell up and basically have him retire as a Jet. Now, in terms of Connor Hellebuck, I am a lot more optimistic of Connor Hellebuck because this guy's just been an absolute stud since he watched, walked into the NHL. Obviously, has a Vesna trophy. His worst year was when he put up a 9-10. And even that year, his advanced stats were still like 20 goals saved above expected. He is the definition of consistency. Never been above three goals against. And mind you, again, the advanced stats don't, the regular stats don't do him justice in this scenario. His advanced stats are absolutely insane. And he's been an utter workhorse for this team. Could that maybe lend towards him regressing sooner? It's definitely possible, but I think over the two to first two to three years of this deal, it's probably going to be positive value. A guy like Connor Hellebuck, surefire top five goalie in the NHL. Again, similar to Shifley, that's even harder to replace. Getting a legit starting goalie is, once you have that, it's really hard to say, yeah, we're going to pass. We're going to get rid of you. And similarly to a Mark Shifley, I don't think the market, I saw MBI Hockey talking about this. I don't think the market for Connor Hellebuck was that massive considering teams are seeing guys like Aiden Hill go on these miracle runs. I don't think the need for a big top number one goalie is as massive as it was in previous years. So when looking at Connor Hellebuck, similar to Mark Shifley, you weren't going to get that sick of a package for him. If Mark, if Connor Hellebuck was 26, 27 years old, similar to like a UC Soros, the Predators decided to trade him, I think you'd get a bag. But considering Connor Hellebuck's age and the fact that he's was going to be due this massive extension, no team was willing to give up an absolute king's ransom for them. So I think it is a pretty solid deal. Yes, it will be brutal the final two to three years of that contract. But the Winnipeg Jets had to do this. And now with the Winnipeg Jets, I said this on Twitter, but and, and my guy Brady said this as well. Brady, NHL chunky said, to me, the 55 and 37 contracts signal that the Jets believe they are closer to the team that was first in the West in December rather than the team that tripped and fell into the playoffs. The goal is to win in the next couple of years. The team better be with, with is better. The team is better with them than without them. And yeah, I, I think... While they're definitely not on the level of the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche, this team, if they decide to keep on not going all all in, but decide to trade some assets at the deadline, trade some other prospects to get better right now, this is a playoff team. This is definitely a playoff team. Could they finish third in the Central? I think it's definitely possible. Them and the Minnesota Wild now are honestly a toss-up in my opinion. And if you are going to lock up Hellebuck and Shifley, you kind of do need to double down on this on this win now kind of mentality. It doesn't make sense if they decide, oh, we're 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 all set. We just have this mid team. You gotta double down similarly to my New York Islanders. My New York Islanders obviously went out and got Bo Horvat. Once you make a move like that, you need to be win now, win now, win now. Will it end up working out? No, probably not. But at least they have a direction. I said on my Instagram story, the worst thing that an NHL team can be is directionalist. If they headed into this season with them both being pending UFAs, that was really the doomsday juggernaut apocalypse situation when you consider there was a real possibility that they could have left for literally nothing. At least now, you know you're going to have this solid team for the next two to three years. Is it going to result in actual playoff success? I'm, I'm a lot more pessimistic on others, but I do think that Kevin Dayoff and another factor of this regarding Kevin Dayoff is it's very easy for fans at home to play armchair general manager and say, 
I would have entered a rebuild. I would have done a three to four year rebuild. But when you're in the shoes of Kevin Shevel Dayoff and you don't know that you're going to survive a rebuild, it is way easier said than done to say, yeah, we're going to suck for the next three to four years. And again, there's no guarantee that a rebuild works. You look at a team, although teams, it appears like these two teams are coming out of a rebuild successfully now. Buffalo and Arizona have been rebuilding for like the better part of a decade almost. Arizona had like a couple good years with Taylor Hall. I think they made the playoffs or they made the qualifying round and ended up making the playoffs. But that's an example. Yes, the New Jersey Devils, sometimes a rebuild goes well. Yes, the Colorado Avalanche stink in 2017, get Kel McCarr, they're on their merry way. But when looking at a rebuild, although I think it is the best way to build a contender, there is no guarantee that a rebuild will end up working. And for a market like Winnipeg, that's already, even with a playoff team last year, in terms of raw attendance numbers, not percentage, I think even percentage, they were down in the bottom 10%. They're a bottom five attendance team in total with a playoff team, with the goddamn playoff team. This isn't the Montreal Canadiens that can still sell out the Bell Center somehow, even when they do suck. That's not the case in Winnipeg. And there's so many financial factors, not just on the ice factors with this, that I do like the idea of them just locking up Hellebuck and Shifley and saying, yeah, we're going to be competitive for the next two to three years. But let me know in the comments, what do you think about that move? Do you think it's going to backfire horribly? Again, I think in five to six years, the Jets will be in a bad spot with those contracts. Hopefully the cap continues to rise and absolutely skyrocket where they can dump them or it's not that big of a deal. But I think right now, given the circumstances around the Winnipeg Jets, it's, it's something you have to do. It's kind of like a necessary evil. Moving on. Rasmus Dahlin secures a bag. Rasmus Dahlin just signed a mega 8x11 the day before the season. This seems steep compared to Fox, McAvoy, and McCarr's deal. He could grow into it, but there's some risk. That comes to us from Brian. And yeah, another out-of-nowhere extension. It happened at like 8 a.m., Rasmus Dahlin obviously got a super mega bag, eight years, $11 million, by far passing Adam Fox, who signed a six by 9.5, Kel McCarr, five or six years, 9 million, McAvoy, eight years, 9.5. Rasmus Dahlin becomes the highest paid defenseman since Eric Carlson signed his extension back in 2019 and signed the exact same extension as Drew Doughty back in 2019, making him the tied for second highest annual average value contract ever. It's tied for fourth in terms of pure value overall millions. Only Ryan Suter and Shea Weber, because of their 13 and 14 year deals, have higher, larger deals. But when you look at Rasmus Dahlin, I do think it is, I, I, I think he's worth it. I, I really liked the deal when it was 10.5. 11 just seems fair. I, I don't know how you can justify it as like an utter steal unless you think he's going to become like, 1A, 1B with McCarr. That, that's what he'd have to turn into for this to become a good, good deal. But it is pretty fair value. You look at, Kale McCarr, you look at uh, Rasmus Dahlin last year. By far his best year, both offensively and defensively. He really took that another step. Was fantastic on the power play for the Buffalo Sabres. 73 points. If he can continue to put that up, I, I think I think that is worth it. That That is near point per game, solid defensively. Legit top five defenseman in the entire league last year. Going forward, that's definitely going to be worth $11 million. And in terms of the contract projections, the Athletic does seem to think that this is a pretty fair deal. They're a little bit lower on his defense. I think his defense is okay. I wouldn't say it's negative, but it, it's about average, maybe slightly above average, but it's obviously that offense that you're paying for. And in terms of the Athletic, they're projecting by like year three, four, that this becomes a sur surplus deal for them. A little bit of an overpayment at the start, but a surplus deal in terms of that the cap eventually rising even more. And yeah, you look at McCarr, Fox, McAvoy. Yes, 
they did get less, but yes, they did sign in a flat cap system. They signed, I believe, in 2021 or 2022 when there were still two to three years left in terms of flat cap. So I don't really like that comparison. And honestly, Rasmus Dahlin is two to three years younger, two years younger than those guys and one year younger than Makar. So when looking at Rasmus Dahlin, I don't really like that comparison. Those deals are more utter steals than per se Rasmus Dahlin being an overpayment. Yes, there is some risk considering Rasmus Dahlin this was his first very, very elite year. He had a very good rookie year, 44 points. Uh, sophomore year, 40 points in 59 games. It looked like he was breaking out then. Then he regressed a lot, 23 points in 56 games with a minus 36. The previous year, 53 points in 80 games. Looked like a solid number one. And then this year, he obviously explodes. So there's definitely some risk that I don't think he's going to go back to like him two years ago, 23 points in 56 games. But maybe there is some risk that this was the best version of Esmus Dahlin that we're going to see, maybe going forward, he's 65 to 70 points, which will still be a top 10 defenseman in the entire league. So there is some risk that he doesn't, he doesn't have a track record compared to a McCarr who won the Norris, was a Norris runner up, then won the Norris, then got paid, or an Adam Fox who won the Norris and then got paid right after. He doesn't really have quite the most impressive track record. So I can see where people are coming from that. It's not a slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk like, say, a Tage Thompson, like a Dylan Cousins, how they've they aged into their deals and they're fantastic. But I think it is about fair market value. Going forward for a top five defenseman, it's going to be around $11 million. For a top five, even top 10 forward, it's going to be 12 to $13 million. Austin Matthews obviously just reset that market. So those numbers, they make about sense. And as the salary cap continues to rise, and also just when you are the Buffalo Sabres and you have such an advantageous salary cap situation for the most part besides that Jeff Skinner deal has four years left but Jeff Skinner was worth roughly nine million dollars last year he was very impressive but when you have Dylan Cousins and Tage Thompson making 4.24 million dollars for the next seven years you don't need to get utter slam dunks on every single deal going forward and even Matias Samuelson I, I don't think that he's this utter stud but he's a very solid uh top four defenseman, defensive defenseman. He's locked up long-term, uh, Connor Clifton's whatever, but they they have such a good salary cap structure because of those two centers. And I can, I assume with their other restricted free agents, they're going to get other solid deals that I don't think it's essential that they bargained extremely hard with Rasmus Dahlin and pinched pennies and did a short-term deal. Just lock him up. So then in those four to five years, once the salary cap starts to rise, maybe the first couple of years won't be home runs like the Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins deals. But by year four, by year five, $11 million really won't be that much compared to if they bridged him at three years, $10 million, and then the next contract also had to go up to like $12 million. Just lock him up, get it done. But the one thing with the Buffalo Sabres that's going to be interesting now is Owen Power is a restricted free agent after this season. Do you lock him up right away? I, I, I think you definitely can, given the cap situation. I would probably, I would give him a similar deal to Jake Sanderson now which might sound steep because he's never going to be the number one guy in Buffalo. I think we can all agree in that. But if you lock him up on an eight by eight, even an 8.85, if you believe that Owen Power is going to become a top 30 in defenseman in the entire NHL, that's worth it. That's definitely worth it, especially given his age, given the fact that it's not like Erasmus Dahlin where they bridged him initially 
And now they're paying him between the ages of, I believe, 24 or 25 up until his early 30s. If you can get Owen Power locked up from 21 or 22 to 30, his entire prime, like Rasmus Dahlin, he's not going to be falling off a cliff at 31 and 32, but he's not going to be absolutely in his prime. There's going to be some regression on that back end. Owen Power, you can just lock him the hell up and just let that age, let that deal age throughout his entire prime. If I'm the Buffalo Sabres, if I'm Kevin Adams, I saw how well Tage Thompson worked out. I saw how well Dylan Cousins worked out. Owen Power obviously had a very good rookie year, 35 points, Calder finalist. I think it's safe to assume that he's going to become a legit number two. And on most teams, he'd probably end up being a number one. If you're Owen Power, you're probably going to wait and see how the season goes just because if he does break out even more, maybe he can get nine, 9.5 this summer. But if I'm Kevin Adams, I'm trying to get that deal done as soon as possible. I am not messing around with that. If you end up messing around with that and let's let's say a hypothetical let's say Rasmus Dahlin gets hurt nothing too serious but he misses like a month or two or just a decent amount of the season but he's healthy for the playoffs or if they make the playoffs down the stretch say that happens and Owen Power steps up into a number one role and just absolutely goes off and then you have to pay him 9.5 to 10 million dollars and then you have two near $10 million defenseman combined make 20 to $21 million. That's going to be a problem. That's when it starts getting a problem. So I personally would lock up Owen Power as soon as possible. Will Kevin Adams do that? We'll see. I I don't think it's as essential as obviously locking up Rasmus Dahlin before this season, but it's definitely going to be interesting, something to monitor that Owen Power is that restricted free agent. And if they can get that core of Dahlin, Power, Thompson, Cousins, right now it's 30, wait, $25 $25 million, $25.2 million combined. They can get those three locked up below 30, $33 million roughly. That's going to be very good work. That's your four core pieces only taking up what'll be a third of the salary cap in like two to three years. That's fantastic work. That's fantastic work. But moving on, the next topic, the final topic before we go into my predictions, we got something on Elias Pedersen that kind of came out of nowhere. We got something on Elias Pettersson. The Canucks don't want EP. So it was recently speculated that Pettersson will may not be willing to re-sign, but now Freeman just said that the Canucks might not be willing to commit to him. How are they so incompetent? That comes to us from Reese. So yeah, there was this weird tweet from 32 Thoughts or just weird quote from Freeman or, or from his podcast, 32 Thoughts, that the Canucks have also indicated that they're not sure. If there's any doubt Pettersson is not sure he wants to com- make a commitment I'm not sure the Canucks want to make a commitment either. What that like like that makes no sense. I'm so, I'm sorry. That makes absolutely no sense. So apparently the Canucks might not be willing to commit long term to Elias Pettersson, like their franchise center by far most talented player, like since the Sedins. That is, I I hope that Freeman's just talking out of his ass because if that is the case, I feel horrible for Canucks fans that. I, and by that, I I don't think that like the Canucks are like we don't want to resign a pyramid. Period. I think they're saying that we don't want to give him a $11.5, $12 million a year deal quite yet because he hasn't really proved stacked multiple elite seasons. But when looking at the Canucks, it should be their number one priority right now to re-sign Elias Pettersson. I don't think I'm shocking anybody with that take. That that, that he, is the, he is the franchise. Quinn Hughes is definitely the captain, but Elias Pettersson is your best player. He is going to be the guy that if you end up going on a deep run, he's going to be your con Smythe winner. He's going to be your face of the franchise. When looking at Elias Pettersson, the only reason that I think this could make sense is if the Canucks think maybe we don't make the playoffs this year, is it time to just blow it up? 
I guess that could make sense just because given the nature of they've been so unsuccessful the past five years, would they hit that reset button? The problem that I have with that is if you're going to trade Elias Pettersson, you got to trade Quinn Hughes as well. What's the point of keeping one when they're one year apart? It's not like Quinn Hughes is 20 years old and Elias Pettersson is 26. They're 24 and 23. They go hand in hand. So if you're not willing to commit to Elias Pettersson and give him a long-term deal, what are we what are we doing? What are we doing with Quinn Hughes? It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you trade Elias Pettersson, you got to enter like a nuclear rebuild, which they just have not seem to be willing to do. Uh, uh, based on all indications, they traded away Bo Horvat. We thought, hey, they're finally getting some assets. They're finally thinking about this long term. Then they go out and trade for Philip Ronick, which I think was a solid deal. I think Philip Ronick's going to be a good second pair defenseman for them, but it didn't make a lot of sense. It did not make a lot of sense to basically kick your captain out and then get trade even more assets for another guy. Uh, just, just really weird. Just really weird. And you look at the Canucks, Salary cap structure. They don't have any money like committed long term. That's the other thing. It's not like they have this this packed salary cap sheet. They have Quinn Hughes signed four more years at seven point eight. They have JT Miller signed eight years <laughs> eight years at eight million dollars. But besides that, their longest contract is Connor Garland, three years, four point nine five. So yeah, I don't really get the hesitation here unless they're willing to blow it up, which I think it'll be very interesting. I personally think the Canucks are gonna be a pretty solid team this year. I have them at 94 points, but if they if they miss the playoffs, you do have to definitely look at potentially blowing it up. If they're healthy and they miss the playoffs, last year's disaster with Boudreaux, midseason gets fired. They have a bunch of front office shakeups. I I, I understand last year was a mistake, not a mistake, but just an, an utter failure and just a disaster. But if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think you may potentially have to look into trading Pedersen, and Pedersen would get you an absolute haul if you traded Pedersen and Hughes. That would net you like four first round picks and like two to three very good prospects. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's definitely something to monitor. And considering this quote from Elliot Friedman, something that could potentially happen down the road, but definitely not right now. I think they should lock them up. I think they're absolutely clowns for that. But let me know in the comments. What do you think? And moving on. Now we are going to just run through my season predictions. My season predictions. I've been dropping them over the past week or so. We're going to go quickly division by division. Then I'm going to do my major awards. Then I'm going to tell you which teams I think are going to make the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, which team I think is going to make the finals, and just who's going to win the Stanley Cup as whole. But let's get into it. First up, the Atlantic Division. I dropped this earlier today. I have the I have the Toronto Maple Leafs in first place with 109 points, the Ottawa Senators in second with 102 the Tampa Bay Lightning with 97, Boston Bruins with 95, Panthers with 92, Sabres with 88, Wings with 81, and Habs with 69. Moving on, we got the Metro Division. Metro Division, 113 for the Canes, 106 for the Devils, Rangers, 100, Penguins, 96, Islanders, 92, Capitals, 89, Flyers, or Jackets, 75, Flyers 64. Quick little breakdown of that. I'm pretty high on the Devils, but I think that it's going to take some time for them to kind of develop some of their young guys to develop into the new role. The Canucks are an absolute wagon. The Canes are an absolute regular season wagon. I don't think that that's that controversial, but overall, I think the Penguins somehow sneak in and the Rangers are still a playoff team. The Central Division, Central Division, I have the Stars at 110, the Avalanche at 106, Wild at 99, Jets 94, Blues 89. Preds 84, Yotes 81, 
the Hawks 57. I don't think that this one's that controversial. Hawks stink. Preds, Yotes, not there quite yet. Blues, mid. Jets, I might actually bump them up a couple spots now, now that I know that they're not going to be blowing it up. And then the top three is pretty consensus. And then finally, we got the Pacific Division. Pacific Division, Oilers, 111. Kings, 104. Knights, 102. Flames, 98. Canucks, 93. Kraken, 88. Ducks, 70. Sharks, 56. Sharks are going to be god-awful. I can't wait to see how that goes. But um, yeah, that that's my division standing predictions. Now let's get into the awards. Hart and Art Ross. I don't think I'm shocking anybody here. I got Connor McDavid winning the Hart and the Art Ross. I have him winning the Art Ross at 137 points. I think he probably leads the league in like by like 17 to 20 points. Dreisaitl will probably have 117 or something like that. For the Norris, Kale McCarr. Well, actually, let's go back. To, let's go back to Connor McDavid. If I was not going to pick Connor, uh, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews would be my heart pick. Norris, Kale McCarr. Pretty safe pick, 66 points in 60 games last year, won the Norris the prior year. As long as he plays 75 games, he's pretty easily my pick. For my second place, I'm actually going to go with Quinn Hughes. Calder, Connor Bedard, I think he's going to be in the high 70s, score mid-30s goals. Chicago stinks, but he's going to get so many opportunities on their top line, top power play, playing 19, maybe sniffing even 20 minutes a night. And Taylor Hall isn't absolutely washed up, so I think they're going to be a solid line. And in terms of second place, Dark Horse, because this is a pretty obvious pick, I got Adam Fantilli. Vesna, Igor Shosturkin, this guy's going to have to stand on his head. Jonathan Quick is absolutely washed up, so Igor Shosturkin's going to have to play 60, 65 games. He won the Vesna when he put up when he only played 52 games, so I think with that added workload, it's going to increase his chances, and he might be up for the heart considering how much the Rangers... I don't really fully believe in the Rangers this year. Igor Shosturkin's going to have to carry. In terms of the Selkie... Nico Heischer, uh, I just feel like the narrative's coming together for him. Patrice Bergeron retires last year. He's kind of, by the media, been deemed the next Patrice Bergeron, which I think is obviously stupid. But I think he slides in and gets his first Selkie. The Rocket, Austin Matthews, I think he's sniffing 60, maybe even hits it this year. Had a big down year last year. Has a lot of people to prove wrong. Jack Adams, I'm going to go with Jay Woodcroft. I had the Edmonton Oilers at 111 points. He's had the second best record in the entire NHL since taking over for the Edmonton Oilers. He just consistently puts the team in a good position to win, especially in the regular season. Playoffs, we'll see how it goes. And then in terms of the Jim Gregory, I have Tom Fitzgerald. Tom Fitzgerald obviously went out and fleeced the Calgary Flames for uh, Tyler Toffoli this summer. Jaeger Sharangovich in a third was absolutely crazy. His other moves have been very effective for this team. He blocked up Brat and Meyer this summer. And just looking at it, the Jim Gregory is an award that goes to a team that makes the conference finals. And I do think the Devils will make the conference finals. It's so stupid how it gets voted on after the second round of the playoffs. But now we are going to do my cup picks. I'm going to give you who I think is going to be playing in the Stanley Cup final and who's going to win. And up first, the team that I think is going to be the runner up is the New Jersey Devils. I look at the Devils this year. Their top six is absolutely gross. I don't have them that high in the standings because I think Guys like Luke Hughes, Simone Nemich, even Tyler Toffoli adjusting to that team, adjusting to that system, and that goal-attending tan- goal tandem is okay, but I don't think it's anything special. I think they're going to somewhat struggle in the regular season a little bit at, out of the gate, but once this team gets the chemistry going on, and I think Schmidt or Vanacek, one of them will emerge as a legit guy that can potentially go on a run. We saw with Aiden Hill, the Devils just need a good def- to put out a good team in front of him, and Akira Schmidt can absolutely ball or Vanacek. 
So I think once the playoffs come around, this team will be cooking. They have the firepower to keep up with anybody, and I think they will have the decor this time around to potentially beat the Cal- uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Last year, Carolina obviously disposed of that. That's kind of I kind of expected that just because it was the Devils' first run. I think this time around, they're going to have far more experience, know how to deal with a team like Carolina that's a lot more physical of a team. I think they've added some physicality. So when looking at the New Jersey Devils, I think this is a year where they potentially go on a run and take take that next step. Last year was the regular season success. This year, they're going to go further in the playoffs and get it done. And winning the Stanley Cup, I probably should, probably should make a whole goddamn video on this, but my Stanley Cup pick for next year it's not the Edmonton Oilers. It's not the Edmonton Oilers. I am not believing in the Edmonton Oilers again. I, I, I hook, line, and sinker fell from them last year, and I do think they are going to make the Western Conference Finals, but my pick is coming out of the Central Division, my Stanley Cup pick. It's a team that I think is kind of being underrated, as crazy as it is to sound. I don't have them winning the Central Division because they do have a lot of new pieces that I think are going to take some time to develop chemistry and just overall into the system. But I got the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup. It it came to me in this past week. I wasn't that high on Colorado if you told me two months ago, three months ago, but I've slowly started to like this team. A really underrated ad was Thomas Tatar, in my opinion. He kind of chokes in the playoffs, but I think at some point he has to actually have a good playoff run. But when you look at this team, last year they were kind of cooked, especially against Seattle once Valerie Nutrushkin went down. Well, went down once he had his whole situation. But when looking at this team, they really address their depth issues this year. They go out, they get Johansson. Ross Colton, I think, is going to be an upgrade over now. Alex Newhook. Miles Wood, not that good of a player. Okay, bottom sixer. Uh, who else did they bring in? Jonathan Duran, I think, can be a good pickup because he obviously has played with Nathan McKinnon in past years. And just overall, I think they will have a cleaner bill of health. Bowen Byram has not been able to stay healthy. Kale McCarr. Got suspended in one of those games against Seattle, but yeah, he hasn't been healthy. So I think if this team is healthy, they're maybe not as good as their 2022 counterpart because that was, in my opinion, one of the greatest regular, one of the greatest just period teams we've ever seen. I think they might be the, the most talented team of all time. 119 points in the regular season and then go 16 and four in the playoffs. It was absolutely insane. So I look at the Colorado Avalanche this year and I think they are. They actually have, obviously, their big three, their three superstars. And instead of Landis Cog, who is a very good player and is worth $7 million, they were able to spread out some of that money in order to get Ryan Johansson, get a Jonathan Drouin, get a Ross Colton, get a Thomas Tatar at $1.5 million. They are actually three lines deep compared to last year, especially once Natrushkin went down. They were absolutely cooked. They still went to seven games. They still easily could have won that, even with the McCart suspension. I think this year, they're going to kind of remind us why this time a year ago we were thinking that they were the next potential dynasty. Alexander Georgiev is going to be massive for them. He was very good in the regular season. He played fine in the playoffs. It was more of just the team overall kind of let them down. But I think that he is the kind of goalie that can be relied on to potentially go on a run. He is a little bit inconsistent, but if we see Aiden Hill go out and ball out, Georgiev can have a similar run. And even when they won the Stanley Cup, Darcy Kemper was not that good for me. The X factor is obviously a guy like Bowen Byram. Can he take that next step? Is going to be very interesting. Their defense core is good. Their forward core actually has some depth, and the goaltending is not a massive, massive concern. So I look at the Colorado Avalanche. They're still like first or second in cup odds, but I see no one picking them. I think they're going to remind people why, why, why they were deemed this next dynasty and get their second cup in three years. 
now that I say this, Edmonton's definitely going to win the Stanley Cup. Like, book it. Put the house on it. Now then Colorado's going to lose in the first round. But I think they have that, especially that playoff hunger that they lost in the first round. They feel embarrassed. Everybody's talking about Edmonton losing in the second round. Colorado's probably 10 times more pissed. They're, everybody is sleeping on them. Nathan McKinnon, guy's an absolute warrior. And you look at them from a front office perspective. Last year, they kind of admitted, especially once Landis Cog was done done, they admitted that we're not going to go all in. Their deadline moves like Lars Eller. So now they have two elite prospects in Richie and uh, Guliev, and they have their first round pick this year and next year. I think they're going to be a lot more aggressive at the deadline, potentially add most likely to that forward core and get, if Johansson isn't pulling his weight, get a legit second line center or maybe a legit first line winger. If Jonathan Drouin is not as great as we expect him to be with Nathan McKinnon, not as good, but I think they're going to, this is, Last year was kind of a, an off year for them, but they are going to be fully back and fully aggressive this year to go all in and win that Stanley Cup. But let me know in the comments, what do you think? I got the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup, beating the New Jersey Devils. I want to hear from you guys, though. That's the end of the show, 32 minutes. I might be streaming some of these games tonight. Might be streaming Penguins versus Blackhawks. I'll let you guys know later. But as always, thank you guys so much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And I'll see you in the next one.